From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Researchers from Upstate led a study with the Caribbean Institute for Meteorology and Hydrology and the Caribbean Public Health Agency to determine whether climate information could be used to predict outbreaks of mosquito-borne diseases such as dengue fever and the Zika virus. Their work has subsequently been published in a special PLOS Medicine journal devoted to climate change and health. And with me in the studio to talk about the research is one of the authors, Dr. Anna Stewart Ibarra. She's the director of the research program for Latin America and the Caribbean in Upstate's Institute for Global Health and Translational Science. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about the purpose of this study, um, why it was done. Sure. So... USAID had allocated funding to the Caribbean Institute for Meteorology and Hydrology to begin to develop new tools that the public health sector uh, in the Caribbean could use to combat epidemics of mosquito-borne diseases like dengue fever, Zika, chikungunya. Uh, These diseases um, have been increasing in recent years, as I'm sure many people are aware, and it's really become a top public health priority. And so one of the tools that has been proposed to address these diseases are early warning systems or models or you know that can predict and forecast disease epidemics. And so the goal of this project was to do an initial study um, to see the potential to develop an early warning system for dengue fever and Zika mosquito-borne diseases in the Caribbean. And this was really uh, I would say a very large partnership w- between as you mentioned the Caribbean Public Health Agency CARFA Pan American Health Agency, the Caribbean Institute for Meteorology and Hydrology, and investigators from different universities, such as the London School of Medicine and Hygiene, and the University of Florida, and, and collaborators from Ecuador as well. And so this particular project is part of a, a bigger body of research, right, that's all related? Yeah, so this was part of a project called Building Regional Climate Capacities in the Caribbean. And as part of that project, there was a specific focus on how we could develop capabilities to work better with the health sector. Within the health sector, mosquito-borne disease was one of the top concerns. There were also other people working on heat, uh, the effects of heat stress on human health, for example. And so within this project, uh, we had one. We have several different publications that came out, and this, one of these is this paper that you mentioned that was published in PLOS Medicine. Okay. Well, let me ask you kind of a simple question. How does knowing that a disease outbreak is likely help the planners? Like what what do mm-hmm. they do with that information? That's a great question. So some of it depends on the, t- on the scale, the time scale. So how are we talking about a two-week forecast or is it a prediction for two weeks from now, for three months from now, for a year from now? So and decision makers or public health sector can take different actions depending at which which scale, which time scale we're talking about. So typically we think about seasonal forecasts. So in the next three months, are we more or less likely to see a disease outbreak? So with a seasonal climate forecast, we can create these seasonal disease forecasts. Um, and then the public health sector could, for example, decide if they wanted to do more mosquito control in a certain area, a high-risk area, or maybe more education and outreach. They might increase you know, the number of uh, advertisements on the news so that people are aware of, of 
you know, mosquitoes and they should be control controlling, you know, containers with water. Or they might start buying uh, more lab supplies and tr so that the labs are ready to receive people with suspected cases of disease and they have the diagnostics on hand. Or train doctors, for example, so the doctors have it on their radar that oh, there may good. be more cases coming in. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, um, can you tell me what the researchers um, did for this study and, sure. and how it was done and what they found? Yeah. So... In this study, we, we know that cl local climate, like rainfall and temperature, can affect mosquito-borne diseases. And that makes sense because the mosquitoes uh, need to have water to reproduce. So you have to have standing bodies of water. Um, but also air temperature affects the mosquitoes. So when, <clears throat> when the temperatures increase up to a certain temperature range, generally between, um, let's say, 26 to 29 degrees Celsius, uh, we have sort of our highest risk of transmission. If it gets too hot, the mosquitoes can't fly anymore they kind of get cooked because it's too hot and if it's too cold they're lethargic they can't move because mosquitoes can't control their own body temperature they depend mm. on the ambient body temperatures so in this in this study what we did was we took information from the caribbean island of barbados which is a small country in the caribbean where dengue fever has been present and zika has been present have been present and we used data from 1999 through 2016 uh, numbers of dengue cases each month, and also rainfall and temperature. And what was interesting is we actually used a drought uh, indicator called the Standardized Precipitation Index. This is a, a value, uh, I guess, an indicator of drought conditions that is used commonly in agriculture to predict uh, droughts for agriculture. But we used it in this model to see if it would be a better predictor for, for dengue outbreaks. And we were able to show that using rainfall and temperature data, we were able to successfully predict months when there would be outbreaks of dengue versus months when there would be no outbreaks. And we saw that dengue outbreaks increased as the temperature increased up to about 25 degrees Celsius. And what was really interesting is that we found um, that there were more likelihood, the likelihood that we'd have disease outbreaks during periods of drought, which is one of the few studies, I think, that's actually shown that dengue or mosquito-borne diseases can increase during drought, but also during periods of excess rainfall, which sort of makes sense. That's, that's intuitive. But with respect to drought, uh, Barbados, like many countries around the world, um, has limited water resources, limited freshwater resources. And so when you have periods of drought, community members need to store water in and around the home. And actually, the government passed building regulations so that large buildings have to have containers with rainwater storage. Um, so that sounds like a great idea, and that's part of a lot of like, climate change adaptation strategies to reduce the impact of climate change so that communities are better able to respond. But on the other mosquitoes hand... Mosquitoes like standing water, exactly. right? Exactly. So now um, we're increasing the risk of mosquito-borne diseases. So that's why you would see a disease outbreak during a drought. Exactly. Coming from, wow, mm -hmm. that is interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, can the same statistical model that you worked with, could, could you use that in another country? Could you use that, say, in central New York mm -hmm. where, I don't know, we don't have dengue, um, but we have Tripoli. West Nile. And we Tripoli. have Tripoli. Yeah. So could it be used for something like that? or The same model framework, the same overall structure, and the way that the model was put together could definitely be used to look at different mosquito-borne disease in different parts of the world. And that was part of the goal of this study, was to present this as a as an approach that could be used more generally in other settings. Okay. And, and I would say also, because this was developed in close partnership with the climate sector and the public health sector, our goal was to come up with something that would be useful and um, 
potentially translated into uh, an operational tool so that it wouldn't be just a sort of an academic exercise, but really a tool that could be brought um, to help decision makers. And you wouldn't have to recreate it every time. You'd already have sort of established pattern for how to do this. Or yeah, whatever. you sort of have a general idea about how to pull the pieces of the model together. Do you, Would it work for other insect-borne diseases like Lyme or uh, other things that, I mean, does the climate affect ticks? Mm. So it's I, that's a really good question. Uh, I think climate affects any kind of arthropod or insect-borne yeah. illness because is it arthropods, insects, um, ticks are uh, affected by their ambient temperatures. And so how, where they can move in terms of their north and south distribution, where you find them in terms of elevation, so it's higher, lower-lying areas, that's very much related to climate. Um, so this kind of approach could be relevant definitely for other kinds of uh, vector-borne diseases. Neat. Now, I know your study kind of look, looked at data from the past. Mm -hmm. um, did you do any projections for the future? Like where, mm -hmm. um, you know, are you predicting a higher risk of dengue in the coming year? Or We have not yet done predictions beyond the, the period that we tested in the model, so up to 2016. That's definitely a next step that, that we plan to work on with our partners in the public health sector. Um, we did a sort of test in the model, so where we would predict a specific month by taking that month out of the data set and then predict that month. Um, so as though we didn't have any of the data for that specific month. And so that was sort of a way to test without actually having to go forward in time. But that would be the next step for sure. Interesting. All right, so what do these findings mean? Um, these findings mean that there definitely is potential to develop dengue early warning systems or mosquito-borne disease early warning systems in, in the Caribbean. And that these kinds of early warning systems or disease forecasts could be used by the public health sector to plan and implement different interventions to reduce the risk of disease, as we talked about before, like um, deploying you know, field workers to do vector control in communities or working with, with schools and communities to raise awareness and education. Um, and, and the goal is, as I mentioned before, that this become an operational tool sort of in the short term. So that's our next step. How do we actually take this and, and turn it into... Um, something that the public health sector can use to inform their decision making. Now remind me, the same mosquito that carries um, the dengue is, is also the same mosquito mm. with Zika and chikungunya? Uh -huh. Yeah, um, so the, the mosquito, the main mosquito vector is called the Aedes aegypti mosquito. There's a, a secondary mosquito vector called the Aedes albopictus mosquito or the Asian tiger mosquito, but the main vector is still the Aedes aegypti mosquito. And um, both Aedes aegypti and Aedes albopictus transmit a range of different viruses. They're, they're very good at spreading disease. So dengue fever, chikungunya virus, Zika virus, uh, yellow fever virus, and others are transmitted by the same mosquito species. Um, can they transmit more than one at a time? Can yes, we think can? so. Yeah, there have been studies that have shown mosquitoes to be infected with multiple viruses. So... Um, it's hard to say exactly. If you have a mosquito that has multiple viruses, does that mean that that same mosquito can pass multiple viruses? Hard to tell in the real world. But we have they, people have found mosquitoes that have dengue and Zika inside of them. And we certainly do find people with co-infections. Yeah, wow. Just in Ecuador, during the chikungunya outbreak, we found that 
about 12% of people who are positive for chikungunya also had dengue fever. Wow, so. interesting. Well, the, your research doesn't get into the differentiation between which disease. It's just mm -hmm. looking at mosquito-borne diseases in general, right? Well, in this study, we were focusing on dengue fever, okay. mostly because we have um, about 16 years, 17 years of data to be able to develop the model. With chikungunya and Zika, we only have about two years of information, three years of data maybe, and so it's difficult to develop a, a forecast model to predict epidemics with such a short time frame. But the idea is that the same model framework, as you said, could be adapted for other diseases. As soon as we gather more information about these diseases, you know, in the coming years, we'll be able to really refine our ability to make predictions about other disease outbreaks. But if the same mosquitoes carry dengue and Zika, if, mm -hmm. if there's an increased risk for dengue that season or after mm -hmm. the monsoon or after the rainfall or whatever, sure, there could also be an increased risk for Zika, right? In theory, in theory, except that uh, more than climate affects these diseases. So that's, I guess, an important thing to think about. Um, climate is an important risk factor because it affects the mosquito, but also people's immunity is important to consider. Um, so, for example, Zika swept through the, all of the Americas last year. Let's say most people were exposed to Zika. And so right now we have very high levels of immunity in the population. And so we wouldn't expect to see a major Zika epidemic next year, even if we have a lot of Aedes aegypti mosquitoes. But certainly a few years down the road, as their population immunity goes down, um, if you have a year with higher numbers of mosquitoes, you could also, again, see risk, increased risk of Zika. So would any of this research apply to situations in the Americas? Definitely. And there have been other groups working on developing uh, prediction models for uh, mosquito-borne disease risk in the U.S. In the southern U.S., I would say Florida, but also along the Texas-Mexico border region, Arizona, dengue fever has been present for a while. Also Hawaii, and of course many of the U.S. territories um, in other in, throughout the tropics, such as Puerto Rico or the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, so these are areas with really high risk of disease outbreaks. And even today, we know that when you have outbreaks in other parts of the world, that affects people every, in other parts of the world where maybe those diseases are not endemic. So, for example, during the Zika epidemic, I think there were more than 5,000 cases of Zika that were detected in the U.S. from people who had traveled all over the world to Zika transmission areas. So if we know that there is a major outbreak occurring in the Caribbean, that would certainly affect people traveling to the Caribbean, but also um, the southern U.S. and those nearby areas because these mosquitoes are present in Florida, for example. Well, and also um, hurricane season, does mm -hmm. that or could that have an impact on the mosquito population? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's an area that's still somewhat unanswered, but I think a pretty hot topic because um, the Caribbean region and the southern U.S. is uh, very susceptible to these extreme storm events uh, like hurricanes. And when we were working on this project, it was just, uh, we finished in July 2017, and just a few months later, the region was devastated by the 2017 hurricane, the, the many hurricanes that passed through the Caribbean that year. And we had a lot of concern um, that we would see an increase in Zika transmission in the region. And so partners uh, in Puerto Rico and different countries were monitoring the situation pretty closely because... All of a sudden, you now have many people who are susceptible to mosquito bites because maybe you've lost your home, you're sleeping outdoors, um, you don't have access to mosquito nets, you have lots of standing water and containers in and around the home. 
in some places the piped water systems were damaged and so people had to store water for extended periods of time. So all of these risk factors come together and definitely increase the risk of mosquito-borne diseases. Well, this has been very interesting. I want to thank you for your time this morning. My guest has been Dr. Anna Stewart-Abara. She's the director of the Research Program for Latin America and the Caribbean, and that's in Upstate's Institute for Global Health and Translational Science. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.